I sometimes ponder the fact that to some extent, I am actually a victim of my circumstances. Oh sure, I might have a free will, but let's face it, I don't always get my way. Sometimes it seems that life just happens to us, doesn't it? And it feels like we're just along for the ride, taking all the bumps and bruises and come whatever may. The truth is though, your philosophy of life determines who you are and how you respond in the face of both adversity and fortune is dictated by your philosophy of life. If you question, for example, where you're going after your body dies, after you deteriorate and return to the dust, then your answer will di dictate exactly the type of person you are and how you live. If that question is actually answered, then you are much better equipped than those who live with this uncertainty to handle the worst of the trials that life can throw at you. It's called living life in light of eternity. This is Dr. Steve Latulip on Unity Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Today, I'd like to discuss something that's a little bit spiritual in nature called living life in light of eternity. Now think about your circumstances, your own special events that have shaped your life, things that have happened to you that were beyond your control. Have you ever even wondered, for example, how it is that you were born in America and in your particular state? Why were you born with the parents and family that you have? You had no choice in the matter. The fact is, we are all dealt a hand of cards at birth. Yes, we are born with our own unique physical attributes, our mental capabilities, with our emotional tendencies and our strengths and weaknesses. And we have no control over many of these things. However, we do have control over how we play the hand that we have been dealt. And we have a choice to play it the best that we can or not. And how we play that hand determines the kind of life we live, whatever we will achieve or fail to achieve, and who we are is determined by our choice to play our hand the best we can. Unfortunately, we're living in a very challenging time in America, perhaps like we've never experienced quite before. The present hopelessness in America has been destroying millions and millions of people's lives. Sometimes we like to think that we are taking the road less traveled. That was a book written by M. Scott Peck years ago. It was a story about how we can choose to maximize those important things in life, such as family, such as spirituality, such as taking the higher road, the road that definitely is less traveled. But that can be a very, very lonely journey at times, and especially if it's a road that was forced upon you. Right now, I've been encountering a lot of people that are entering my life, I would call them stressed out patriots, and they're approaching me on social media, 
talking to me about how depressed they are, how worried they are about their country and about their personal lives. Some of them are recovering from alcohol abuse and drug abuse. I'm receiving emails also from parents whose college students are being forced right now to take the shot, to come to their back to their college to return in the fall. They must have proof that they have been vaccinated with this so-called COVID vaccine. Other parents are concerned because their youngsters attending grade school and even uh, even kindergarten are being forced to wear a mask throughout the school day. Now, this is oppressive. This is dangerous. This is very worrisome to parents, and parents are very stressed out about it. I also have had Physicians contacting me across the whole country facing persecution from corrupt medical boards. Why? Simply because they are trying to practice evidence-based medicine. And what happens to them for maintaining their integrity to their oath to take care of patients? Their livelihoods are being threatened. They are living daily with the uncertainty of whether or not they will be able to continue to practice medicine and these are good physicians. There's a lot of people out there who are stressing because they are still confused by all the propaganda surrounding Corona mania. They ask, what do I believe? Who do I believe? Who's telling the truth? I get so many different stories from so many different people that it's hard to understand what is truth and what is not. Well, you know, I sympathize with all these people. I really, truly sympathize. I try to answer these people and try to support them directly in any way that I can. But sometimes, no matter what we do, we still have to endure the hardship. And that's a really tough thing to do, even for me. See, getting control of our emotions is not an easy thing to do. But it's not impossible. We can either be controlled by the attacks on our lives, we can be controlled by our situation, or we can decide simply to not be a victim, to take the bull by the horns and do what we can. And that is such an important thing to do. It, some people actually try to get a hold of their emotions in different ways, and some ways are more easy or perceived as the easier way than others. For example, a lot of people take medications for mood stabilization. There are some fairly good medications for anxiety and depression and insomnia, uh, and they can help. But the one thing that these medications do not do, and that is they do not solve your problems. They might empower you to feel less depressed so that you have the energy to deal with problems, but no medication can solve any of your life problems. Now, there's a lot of good non-pharmacological treatments for mental stability. Exercise is one of the big ones. It's good. But, you know, the Bible says that exercise profits us a little. Okay, what does that mean? Well, exercise is great for us. It's good for your body. Taking care of your physical body allows you to maximize your psychological health, and also your spiritual health. So exercise is a very good thing. And so is good nutrition. 
something such as just staying hydrated, meaning drinking enough water is very good for the body. The kidneys love to be well hydrated and the heart loves the kidney when the kidney is happy. Whole foods, which include foods that are being consumed and eaten in the form that they are found in nature, are very, very good for you. Avoiding junk foods and processed foods, understanding that processed sugar is enemy number one with regard to good nutrition. So if you practice good nutrition, you are actually promoting not only physical health, but mental health. And good physical and mental health prepares you to be more equipped uh, to attain spiritual health. So another good important thing is adequate sleep. And when you are depressed and worrying and when you're not exercising and when you do not have good nutrition, you are much less apt to sleep well for a whole bunch of reasons. Sometimes it could be just situational. Years ago, I attended a, an army course that was called C4, Combat Casualty Care Course. And it was very physically grueling. If you saw the movie Black Hawk Down, uh, that's what the training was about, trying to rescue people who had legs blown off, who had been shot up when the bullets are flying, trying to recover them and get them back to safety and back home ultimately. Now C4 was a fun course for me. I attended it when I was a little older than the average person. So I was a group commander, but you know, I had to sleep on army cots just like the rest of the guys. And the first night I attended there, not having started the, the actual course yet, I didn't sleep very well. The second day after some grueling physical exercise, I slept better. And by the third night, I was sleeping like a baby on an uncomfortable army cot. It was not what I was used to when I traveled with the Air Force and being put up in the finest accommodations, beautiful, comfortable rooms. Um, I'm not necessarily bragging about that. I'm just saying that's the way things were. That was part of the hand I was dealt. But good Sleep hygiene is very important to practice. And if you want to know how to get yourself to sleep without drugs, do study sleep hygiene. Do a Google search on that and find out what you can. There's a lot of things you can do and you need adequate sleep because when you are sleeping poorly, when you're sleep deprived, everything seems worse than it is. Another non-pharmacological treatment, that is a non-medication treatment for mental stability, is staying in contact with people you trust. That's also very, very important. And of course, that has been very compromised and challenging in light of the last year or so with all the government shutdowns. We have been isolated. They have attempted to isolate us, to put us almost into a solitary confinement so that we cannot communicate with one another. That is very, very unhealthy. So there's a lot of good things you can do to improve your mental stability. Now, I will admit to you that one of my favorite self-therapies is very simple, prayer and daily Bible reading. Focusing on the eternal things is very, very important to me. So what's your thoughts on eternity? You know, some people might think that it's just all a delusion, that really we go into poof, non-existence after we breathe our last. If non-existence is our fate, then nothing follows the grave. And that is the view of the atheist. That is the person who believes there is no God. 
Others might consider that the afterlife is just a nebulous, kind of vague blending into the undefined cosmic forces, losing all personal identity, but somehow still existing. Now, is that an improvement from non-existence? Well, I suppose so, but who knows, because what do you blend into? What are the cosmic forces all about? We can all imagine something, but we don't know for certain. But there are other people who actually believe that the soul lives on after death with a judgment that is determining the blessings or the curses that we will receive in our new life in the next world. See, world religions all have their own versions of the afterlife, and they differ greatly. But there is one fact. All major religions do believe in life after death in the immortality of the soul in one form or another. In fact, all major religions believe that one's behavior in this life will determine the destiny of the soul in the afterlife. But there are differences. The Buddhist, for example, believes that there is no permanent individual soul, but we become a blend of perception, predisposition, matter, sensation, and consciousness. We become a part of the Buddha, and there are many forms of the Buddha religion, many forms of Buddhism, but unfortunately, there's little consensus on the afterlife teachings when you try to discern between each of the different sects of Buddhism. You have to think of, of how this might shape your beliefs in this life, how it actually determines what your attitudes may be and what are your behaviors in this present life as you are negotiating the vicissitudes, the things that happen to us in everyday life. We are affected by what we think about the afterlife. A belief that the individual consciousness dissolves after death into some blissful, complete entity or no entity that we have no personal existence actually determines how we act in this life. Let's not deceive ourselves. The Hindu faith holds to the belief of the Atman, the divine part of the human reunites with a, quote, universal soul, the Brahman. So this is another form of belief in the afterlife where we lose our personal identity and we become a simple little tiny, tiny, tiny particle of the whole. However, there are other major religions, and these include Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. These religions believe in a bodily res resurrection after the final judgment. So we go on living with a sense of identity, with our unity or oneness as an individual living being. However, among all the religions in the world, there is only one religion that maintains a judgment that is not, not based on a merit system or a system of works salvation, and that is Christianity. And that is very important to me. And I'm talking about biblical Christianity. I'm sorry, I don't intend to offend, but Roman Catholicism is actually a religion that is based on works. And that's why they have things like purgatory. That's why they were, were previously accepting money so that you could buy your way to heaven. Uh, 
Now, of course, that is a false teaching. It is a teaching based on work salvation, and work salvation and Christianity are completely indistinct of one another. Christianity holds to a salvation that is not based on works. However, we can also be deceived in Christianity. For example, we read in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that salvation is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So salvation is not a reward for good works based on the Christian God, the God of the Bible. And in Romans 3.23, we learn very distinctly and clearly that nobody is capable of being good enough in and of themselves to deserve heaven or nirvana or eternal bliss. The idea of the Roman Catholic Church paying indulgences to lessen the punishment for our sins is a man-made teaching. It is a damning tradition that fully contradicts the scriptures. And we have to reason with this and deal with this and work this out, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We must understand that the concept of purgatory is also man-made. It is not biblical. Well, the ex existential dilemma of mankind does seek to answer some very primary questions, but essential questions, such as from where did we come? Why are we here? And what's next? Where are we going from here? It's a very important question that any human being thinks about when we contemplate life. Realize this. It is only the naked ape, the human being, that is capable of contemplating an afterlife, of thinking beyond this life. Only the human animal bears a conscience, which is an inner sense of right and wrong. Only the human animal considers his origin, his purpose, and his fate. Is that an accident? Some would say, oh, well, we have just evolved a little bit further. Well, that's one way to think about it. If that's what you believe, that is not what the Bible teaches. However, death has been defined, according to the Bible, as being a separation of the body from the soul. It is not a sudden non-existence. But, you know, nobody has all the pieces to the puzzle when it comes to the afterlife. Nobody has a clear picture of what exactly in, in detail we'll be doing in the afterlife. Can you think about what you might be doing? Some people think we'll be surrounded by angels and just twiddling our thumbs uh, up on some cloud in the skies. Um, I don't believe that is at all what God has planned for us. It's going to be something perhaps far better. But the very important thing to understand is what is stated in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 11. It says, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God has, that God does from beginning to end. So we can know that there is an eternity. There is something beyond the grave. And we are curious about it. 
And many people have spent a great deal of money and time focusing on it and trying to prepare for it. Just look at the mummification process uh, in Old Testament times. We see a great many tombs. We see the pyramids preparing uh, for the afterlife for the pharaohs because they strongly felt that there was something beyond the physical life. But they didn't, and we don't, have the full details. It was not given to us. We were not to understand it and know it. My personal feeling is that we were not given those details because perhaps we would be like the lemmings. If we knew how great it was going to be, we might just want to jump off a cliff and end it to get to our final home. But whatever perspective that you believe on the afterlife You must understand that it does determine how you respond to things that happen to you in this present world. And that's a very important thing to understand. How you live your life is determined by what you believe about the afterlife. So it's very important to establish a healthy worldview. And by a healthy worldview, I would suggest that we must reach and attain for a true worldview, because a true worldview is something that will shape you for now and all eternity. It's been said that man has three basic needs in life, someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And I kind of agree with that. That's kind of the basic needs of life. Everybody needs to feel that they are loved by someone. We have to have something to do or we become bored out of our minds and we get depressed and we tend to wither and die at a very young age. And if we have nothing to look forward to, then it's very easy to stagnate in this life. As a physician, that was a very important principle to teach people because many people live day by day in the daily grind suffering what they perceive to be the assaults on their, on their joy of life, but they have nothing to look forward to. And that is such an important principle to understand that we must have something to look forward to in life. It's a good idea to have a one-year plan, a three-year plan, to understand where we may be directed and where we want to go in five years or 10 years or 20 years. And ultimately, Where do you want to have traveled when you are on your deathbed? Will you have regrets or will you be satisfied because you chose the right path, the higher path? So it's very important to understand that your view of the afterlife determines your physical, your psychological, and your spiritual health in this life. And yes, it will determine your destiny. If we are actually called to live good lives, to be morally upright, then we must have some some standard to live by. I mean, why is it that the great, great majority of people in the world would be considered, quote, good people? They are people who would not want to intentionally do you harm. Oh, sure, they might deceive you. They might lie to you for their advantage. They might pill for something now and then but they would not want to do you harm. They would not want to knowingly maim you physically, kill you or devour you in some way because they need someone to love as well. And to have someone to love, you have to be somewhat loving. If we are called to live good lives, then we have to follow 
a calling, we have to have some standard to live by. And everywhere religion does teach what they consider to be the right way to live. Be it the Muslims who have the Quran, we have the Buddhists that have a, a vast array of religious texts handed down from earlier teachings after Buddha's death. And we do have the Hindus who have various sacred uh, texts, but they have a very diverse uh, tradition uh, among them. Each has his own view. So also the Jews have the Old Testament and the Christians have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I recently attended and participated in a revival with Dr. Stella Emanuel, uh, who I consider to be a very good prayer warrior. There's one thing that Dr. Stella understands, and that is the spiritual warfare that is going on. We are fighting a spiritual battle. In the course of that time, I actually met a gentleman who, who defined himself as a metaphysicist, and he told me that all religions do have some truth to them, some good points, some good teaching in what they do promote. And I absolutely agree with that. Every one of them has some standard in teachings of right and wrong, but which of those sacred texts or teachings or traditions is the right standard? What happens, for example, when it comes to eternity? Because everybody has a little bit different view, and sometimes we have a drastic view, uh, greatly different among the different world religions. Can they all be right? Well, no, obviously they cannot all be right. So which is the right standard when it comes to eternity? They cannot all be right. However, truth is truth, regardless of who says it. And if they do contradict one another, then somebody is not telling the truth. Somebody does not have all of the truth. Within each religion, even, there is disagreement and conflict exists. So is everyone wrong? And who is right? We know the old saying, to err is human. We do confuse many things. We do have our personal biases. We have been influenced in our past lives. And let's face it, we're weak. We do not obey even our own standard. We struggle, we wrestle to be the good persons that we would really like to be. And every day we seem to fail ourselves. And another great problem is that whatever the standard you hold to, the standard can be misinterpreted. It can be selectively followed and it can be even ignored and yes, disobeyed. But this doesn't change the right standard. And that's a very important thing to grasp. And neither does it change our fate if it is a correct standard, a standard that is from God himself. See, if we follow the right standard, then we have an understanding about eternal life. And that shapes how we live this world, how we respond to the challenges in this life. And it does determine our very fate, our eternal life. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip with Unity Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio. After a short break, I'd like to return and discuss the incredible power of living life in light of eternity based upon a right standard. Don't go away. I'll be right back. 
COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. This is Unity Without Compromise with your host, Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio, a place where we can speak the truth boldly and honestly and openly and without shame and without any fear of being censored or canceled. Welcome to the radio show of freedom. Well, now I've been discussing uh, various worldviews about the almost universal belief in an afterlife, the existence of life after death. And right now I'd like to talk about how your worldview might directly influence your life. One thing is certain, we need to get it right because we have only one chance. We have only one life to get it right. Unless of course you do believe in reincarnation, I don't. Now, let me first explain that I am speaking to you right now with a personal bias. I am a Christian. I do believe that Christianity is the one true religion, and that I serve the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, let me acknowledge fully that the Bible alone is my standard, my standard of truth, of righteous living, of faith of how to get along in this world. And it is my standard when it comes to the afterlife. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who I claim to be my savior. Now, I did not arrive at this conclusion in a day. I have traveled the world. I have seen the good and the bad and the ugly. I see good people everywhere I go. I see people that I would invite into my home without hesitation in every country I have ever been to, in every city that I have walked through. There are good people in the world. There are people who I would live for and who I would die for. 
I have dealt with every kind of person there is. It's amazing what happens when the doors close in a clinical office, when you practice pain medicine and addiction medicine, when you do your, your psychiatric care fully, people reveal everything about their lives, their most intimate and personal things. And when I hear those good things and bad things and ugly things, I constantly am reminded that those things are in me too. And I do not speak with any pride, with any arrogance or uh, belief that I am better than anyone else. I am not. I'm a sinner like every other human being on this world. I am in need of a savior. But I have arrived at some conclusions about life and about the afterlife. Yes, I have studied world religions quite extensively, and I have analyzed the evidence before me. And I am fully convinced of what we are told in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, that we are all guilty. We are all in need of a savior. We cannot earn our own way to heaven because we are just not good enough. As flawed human beings, we need a savior. So let me state it very clearly. I cannot earn my way into heaven. I am just not good enough. In the book of James in the New Testament, James chapter 2, verse 10, we are told, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Now, this would be a very scary thing to me if I was a Jew. The Jews had some 613 laws given by Moses that they must obey. Now, try to uphold one law, just one law, and see how long it takes you for you to fail. Can you imagine trying to live by a standard whereby we must fulfill the law by obeying 613 laws, never failing once? It's impossible. And that's why we have the Old Testament to teach us a few things, such as you're not good enough to earn your way to heaven. There's no shame in that. There is absolutely no shame in that. We are humans. We are flawed. We live in a broken and sinful world ever since the fall of man. But I have arrived at some conclusions. Yes, I do claim that the Bible in its original autographs, the original writings of the Bible are inerrant. They are the infallible word of God. That means having no errors. They were written to me so that I can know him, God, and serve him as best I can, according to his righteous standard. Folks, this is what gave us America, the United States of America. This gave us one nation under God. And because of the words of scripture, we claimed at one time, and God, we trust, and we believed it so much that we put it on all of our currency. I wish we still believe that, but I hold to it. The Bible is our righteous standard. It is inerrant, it is truthful, and it is useful for all things. Unfortunately, however, through the ages, many passages in the Bible have been misunderstood and have been distorted and have been wrongly interpreted. And this is a huge, huge problem. What this does 
is renders the church a very weakened force today. But the standard itself, the Bible, remains as strong as ever. And we mustn't forget that. We must constantly correct false teachings based on an adherence to the rules of human language that make interpretation even possible. We cannot just toss those rules aside when we are reading the Bible. When the Bible is properly interpreted, the Bible is a perfect standard to live by and even to die by. For example, there is one huge error of Bible interpretation that, in my mind, is extremely damaging. If we are saved by grace and through our faith, then why should we change the way we live? Why should we change our lives? In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which I quoted earlier, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of uh, works, it is a gift of God. If we are saved by grace and through faith, then why ever should we have to change our lives in this life? Why not go on living um, our everyday life the way we always have done? And in reality, I really believe that many Christians have done this very thing. So that when you are walking about your daily life, coming across other people and interacting with them, you would never know they were, that you were speaking to a Christian or not. But if salvation is not earned, then why uh, strive to live a righteous life? If salvation is a gift, why work at being good? I mean, think about it. Is it logical? Sure, it's logical, if that was the complete picture. But guess what? It is not. Because it, we have to understand that when God paints a picture and when God tells us to do things a certain way, if there are teachings in the Bible, we cannot pick and choose what we want to hear, what we want to follow, what we want to believe. We have to take the Bible as a complete picture, as a completed puzzle with all the parts of the puzzle in place. If God is controlling everything, by the way, then why do I need to get involved in things like politics or community or righteous living? This has been a topic of recent hot debate because our world is falling apart and so many Christians are out there saying the mantra, well, God is in control. God controls everything. Therefore, I can sit back and take the ride. Yes, attach your seatbelt, get your shoulder harness fastened because we are on a crash course. And that's a very scary thing. When we are told that we are saved by grace and through our faith, there is a purpose in that that is very, very important. And that purpose is given right after Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. We are saved through our faith by God's grace for a purpose. And Ephesians 2, 10 declares it, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this is a, an issue of the, the cart following the horse or vice versa. We are created for, work, for good works because we have been saved by a true, genuine faith. Now, this is a tough statement for many, many people, including many Christians, because when you when they hear the word works, then they think, ah, that is heresy. You can't claim that works is important because we are saved by grace. You are taking away from the act of God. No, no, no. 
This is not at all a contradiction of what the apostle, uh, the apostle Paul said, that we are saved by grace through faith, but it is an affirmation of it. Read James chapter 2, verse 17. James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, said, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And he says, goes on to say that someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. So having faith or believing and having saving faith uh, are two different things. There's no doubt that Satan believes in God, probably more so than all of us, since he has existed with him and has been judged by him. But works is a part, an outward uh, extension of or a result of what happens when you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So there's no contradiction. The bottom line is that genuine faith in Jesus Christ does save, but works is the natural outpouring of a soul that is saved by faith. What this means is that we have work to do in this life. We don't have to earn our way to heaven. In fact, we cannot earn our way to heaven, but simply living as a living testimony to what God has done in our lives means that good works follow. The work of Christ in you shows the world that you are what you claim to be. Matthew 7.20, we are told by Jesus, by their fruits, you will know them. Matthew 7.21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul, in writing his letter of Romans to the Roman church, says in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he speaks of the righteous judgment of God, quote, who will render to each one according to his deeds or his works or his doings. Glory, honor, and peace will be given to everyone who works what is good, it says in verse 10. James 1.22, and this is my all-time favorite verse of scripture. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And if we turn to Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the great faith chapter, we read that by faith, Abel offered God a sacrifice. That is, he took action. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And by faith, Moses forsook Egypt and the Pharaoh and led his people out of slavery. Others, by faith, through faith, we are told in Hebrews 11, did some mighty great things. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They became valiant in battle. Yes, faith begets action. Inaction is just plain poor stewardship. If you claim to be a Christian and you're sitting on the fence 
or if you can't get your behind off the sofa saying God is in control, you are an extremely poor steward of a gift of life that God has given you in this present life. You have a purpose. You have actions that need to be done. Action does, however, sometimes have consequences. I no longer could stand the deception and the lies that I was encountering in my medical practice. I never even realized that I was digging my own grave when I treated coronavirus patients who were very ill. I treated them early and they all got well. They all got well and recovered and went on living their lives after about a week. And yet they took my medical license there was a price to pay. There was a consequence for me taking action. If we go to, again to the faith chapter of Hebrews 11 and read verses uh, 36 through 38, we read of some the other side of the story. There is sometimes a consequence of action that can lead to imprisonment, to being beat up, to being cast out of your home, to being sawn in two to being imprisoned for long, long periods of time and other horrendous things. The fact is we have no promise of safe passage in this life, only in the next. But action is a natural response to a genuine faith. You never see or hear a teaching of faith alone in the Bible, by the way. Now, I just can perceive some people bristling at that statement. Sola fide, meaning faith alone, were actually the words of Martin Luther, who was the great Protestant reformer coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. And Martin Luther was struggling because he, when he finally read and interpreted the Bible, he saw that justification was by faith alone. And he made that a theological doctrine that has come to be held very strongly by the Reformed and Lutheran churches. But when we actually look for those two words together, faith alone in the scriptures, what do we find? We don't find the words by themselves, faith alone. We only see the words, in fact, not by faith alone in the book of James. If faith alone, then where's grace? If faith alone, then what of repentance? If faith alone, what of obedience to Christ as we are called to do? I don't say this to cause anyone to stumble or to become angry. I only want to show the importance of how we must have a complete picture of God's way of doing things in the way that he has taught us. Remember, we are given some really severe warnings in Scripture, and one of them is found in John 10.1. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. You see, we have to do things God's way, not man's way. Man-made tradition may feel comfortable because you were taught it from infancy, but if it's not God's way, then it is heresy. We have to be very careful. Faith alone does not tell the whole story. I hope not too many Christians will be upset with me at these words because they are not my opinion. They are God's own words. We should never be afraid of God's truth. Christ came into the world 
to save sinners of whom I am chief, says the Apostle Paul. And he said that we are saved by grace through faith. Yes, faith is a gift. There is no other way to be saved. As the old Christian hymn goes, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I fully embrace that. But we must see the full picture that God has painted for us. The complete the completed painting is radiant with God's beauty, and we must be diligent to not change the Bible narrative because that can risk our own eternal salvation, if you will. The Bible declares some really awesome things about living the Christian life, and it speaks of action. If we ignore these, then we are not living according to the good book. We are not living by faith. Romans chapter six and verse four, we are told that knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, becoming free from sin is a process and it takes practice. It takes something we must do and we must do it because we are called to do it. The Bible also declares some amazing things for us regarding the resurrection, regarding the afterlife. If you go to Romans chapter eight, verse 11, there's some great encouragement. I'm turning to that right now. And we are told that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. You see, we got some great things to look forward to in the afterlife if we believe the Bible standard. And I so firmly do believe it, and I therefore live by it. If we read in Romans 8, verse 18, what a powerful verse. Now, remember who's stating this. Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the Roman church because he just couldn't get there until eventually he did and lost his life, was killed as a martyr. But in Romans 8, 18, Paul, whom who received a head beating everywhere he went because he was so boldly proclaim, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, what is that glory? Well, it's got to be something really awesome. No matter how bad your life is, no matter what horrible things have happened to you, you know, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the spouse who betrayed your trust and had multiple, multiple affairs on you, the child who had no parents to raise them because they were drug addicts. It, it might have been horrible. You may have been beat up. You are now experiencing horrible, horrible things because you are being oppressed by a rogue government. You're being told to do some horrible things and you're being threatened with a number of things if you do not comply. Now, right now, those threats may be, well, your son may not go to college, but it's only a matter of time before the threats escalate up to the point of imprisonment and eventually even having your life being taken. Don't think that it can't happen in America. But the Apostle Paul says, no matter how bad it gets, 
if you understood the awesome glory that is coming, it's something far better than our wildest imaginations. Take the worst things that's ever happened to you in life, flip it over for good and multiply it a thousand times. And that's the only way I can imagine the word glory, what God has prepared for you and me, for his children. I much prefer that to being to be to returning as a cockroach or a cow because I didn't quite live the good life that I should. We have to understand that, and if we realize this, that this life is but a brief, brief journey to our real home, then all of its struggles, all of its unfairness and its torments and all the ugliness in it that we see and that we are forced to suffer sometimes on a daily basis, all the things that we have to endure in this world will be worth it in the end. That's what God tells us. And therein is the power of living life in light of eternity. Well, I have exposed fully my bias, and I want to remind you again that America is, above all, first and foremost, a Christian nation. It means that we tolerate people of other faiths, other religions. We don't persecute them. We don't kill them. We don't threaten them or attack them. But we are told to share the gospel, to spread the good news, and to simply let the power of God's own words do its thing. That's what happened with me. That's exactly what happened, and it changed my life forever. That's what we as Christians are called to do and to be. We have to spread the light. Remember the beacon of light? Remember the torch on Lady Liberty? That torch is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That torch is the symbol of freedom. The beacon of light to the world came to the world through the Bible. When the world understands that, then not only will America be great, but the world will be great. And if we reject it, then we shall suffer in ways unimaginable. Well, perhaps the words of John Tillotson uh, that he wrote one day uh, apply very well here. He says that he who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. Deep within the soul of every man and every woman is a longing, a strong, passionate desire to pass back through the gates of Eden, even if we don't recognize it, to see the overwhelming beauty of our perfect world, a world where there is no pain, no suffering, no hurt, no hunger, no fatigue or weariness. We desire to pass through the gates of Eden and to feel the love of God embracing us as we walk in the cool of the garden. For this, we were created. And so for this, we long. One day, if we choose to do things God's way, we will arrive and we will see the glorious wonders of our eternal home. On that day, we will even be rewarded for the works of faithfulness as we strive to become what God calls us to be. And so, hopefully, 
We strive for being a godly nation. We fight for righteousness for one and all, and that righteousness is based on our standard, the Bible. We seek to be good stewards of the life God has given us. One day you and I will surely take our last breath. We will breathe no more. What joy we will have in knowing that we simply did our best for God because he did his best for us. I hope that I've made you a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Perhaps I've made you a little bit angry today. But above all, I simply wish you to get back to the Bible. Read a chapter or two of the Bible every day. I guarantee you, if you do that for a year, you will never, ever in your life again be the same person. But we must continue feeding on the words of life. Man does not live by bread alone. And when you do live in light of eternity based on the scriptures, on the very word of God, well, all I can tell you is no matter what you go through in this life, it is all worth living. It is an honor to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. It is an honor to lose my medical license because I stood for the truth regarding the sciences, which God gave us. The laws of physics are the laws of God. And I contend for that. And if I must pay a price for my fellow man, so be it. I may yet take a bullet in the head. I may yet end up in prison, but I will do things God's way and nothing will ever stop me for that. I hope you'll join me, really join me in doing something great this week. And please don't be afraid to sacrifice, to take action, to take a stand. We live in a free America because someone once did the same for you. Be blessed this week and I'll see you next time. Adieu.